Welcome to the Parenting is Heartwork podcast. This is Dr. Scott Taransky, and I'm here with Alinis Fetzlot, and we are going to talk about attention deficit hyperactivity disorder today. The reason we want to talk about this is because it is so prevalent that people either suspect their children have ADHD or their children have been diagnosed with ADHD, many children on medication with ADHD. It's a pretty prevalent problem today, and a heart-based approach has a great bunch of tools to offer. So, Alina, I'm glad you're here. Let's talk about this subject today. Welcome. Hi, Dr. Scott. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. I am very excited about this topic because uh, of various reasons, but mostly because um, up until a few years ago, I have never heard of uh, ADHD before. My mom is a teacher, and she also said that this has this was something new to her uh, until a few, let's say, about 10 years ago or so. So it's new to a lot of people. Uh, we see a lot of children indeed um, have being diagnosed with it. So we would love to learn more. Why don't we start, Dr. Scott, by uh, understanding a bit more of what ADHD is? Yeah, that's important because there are some parents or some people, let me say this way, some people look at parents who have children with ADHD and say, oh, there's are just bad parents or something. It's really unfortunate that people judge parents by their children because some children do have some very specific challenges and, and those parents need a lot of grace in the process. So let's talk about ADHD and what it is. Uh, there's a challenge inside the brain in some children where the electrical transmissions are not flowing smoothly. You see, in the neurons, there's a neuron and there's a space, a synapse, and then there's another neuron and there's a chemical reaction that takes place after the electrical stimulation so there's an electrical charge then there's a chemical transmission there's another electrical charge and that's how the brain works and so you have this series of transmissions that take place in uh, a person's brain now a child who has a challenge with uh, ADHD has a challenge in the um in that transmission process Usually it's in the, that chemical part of the transmission so that when we give children some kind of a medication or even give them caffeine, they seem to be able to focus better or concentrate more. Now, uh, I'm not necessarily recommending medication. I'm just saying that's why it works because it's stimulating that a neurochemical transmission that's taking place inside of the brain. Now, there are three main symptoms that we see with ADHD. One is a uh, lack of focus, just can't seem to focus on something. Secondly, high activity, where children seem to be hyper. That's where we get the hyper part of the, the term there. And the other, uh, let's see, high energy, uh, lack of focus, and impulsivity is the third one. So uh, children seem to be impulsive, either with their emotions, they can get quite emotional and be impulsive with their emotions, or just impulsive with their hands or feet, or, or saying things, having a hard time controlling their mouths. and so. Uh, those are the challenges. Now, many children have those kind of problems anyway, uh, but there are some people, who, children who have a particular difficult challenge in this area. I worked with a 12-year-old girl in my office at one point, um, and she had ADHD, and we were using a heart-based approach. It had some good success, but I remember one time in the meeting with her, her mom's watching her, of course. She's on my couch, and at one point, she was upside down on my couch with her feet in the air and her head down, and she's throwing a ball back and forth to me. It was just I said, man, I wish I could take a picture of this. <laughs> she's very focused on me. We're having a great conversation, but she's just very much involved in this kind of activity. It's just who she was. So um, that is what ADHD is. I, I think there's a, a number of things we can do to help these children, but 
But I want to make sure that people understand this is a very real condition that children have. And uh, it is a challenge for the child. It's certainly a challenge for parents who work with these kids. Yeah, indeed. Well, understanding more about it definitely helps us uh, helps us be less judgmental towards the parents and the children. Because indeed, if there is a reaction that happens in a brain, it's so little that we can do unless it's medical, medical or therapy. So thank you for sharing that, Dr. Scott. So let's start with from the beginning. How can we understand these children and, and how can, in a better way, in a way where in which we can help them, um, how can we, yeah, how do we start, uh, you know, to approach somebody who has ADHD? We have to realize that these kids who have ADHD usually can focus pretty well when they're doing something they want to do. That is, they're playing a video game, they're reading a book that they enjoy. They can uh, focus quite intently on that activity without being interrupted or so on. So the focusing is not hard when you have this ingredient of desire. And that takes us into the heart. And this is where the heart becomes so valuable in helping a child deal with a biological challenge because the heart contains all of these different things. Now, when I talk, speak uh, to um, school professionals in an IEP meeting and try to help them understand things, I use words like executive functioning uh, and neuroscience. But um, when I'm talking to Christians, I use the term heart because we understand that concept and that's how Jesus taught us to think. If we can think in terms of the heart, then we know we have a lot of resources at our disposal. We know that inside the heart we have desires. We know that inside the heart we have uh, emotions. We know that inside the heart we have beliefs. And it's very important that as we're working with these children to realize we can do a lot to help these kids, even if they have a biological condition, using a heart-based approach to bring about some self-management of the challenges that, that, we, that they face. And this is where uh, our program shines. There's a tipping point with children. We, we develop the heart so that it's strong enough to manage the impulses. Then we, sit this, we hit this tipping point in a child's life where the child now can uh, match the, the challenges that they're facing and can manage them better. And, and we see that, and it's just remarkable as parents start to experience that in their children. And, and children, of course, seem to experience a lot more... Um, benefit, they start viewing themselves differently when they have more, more self-management skills. So that's what we do. And I can share with you more about what that looks like if you'd like. Absolutely. And perhaps it's worth um, thinking or talking about it in um, age by, uh, by age um, groups. So then we can, for example, first refer to younger children and then more uh, towards adolescents on how, how, um, yeah, how to have the base you know what is what is that uh, something that corresponds to all ages, and what are some differences for children by age? Because I suspect the parents listening to this podcast, um, if they do have children with ADHD, they are at different ages, and it would be good and interesting to hear how to how to connect, how to relate, how to help them at different ages. So that would be lovely to hear, uh, Dr. Scott. Well, first of all, on a theological level or a theory level, mm. uh, there's so much that I wish I could say here in just a short amount of time. But let me say this, and this is why what we do works. Every child is part of their equipment that God made them, has a conscience. Mm -hmm. And that conscience communicates messages to us. It's, and the one we want to take advantage of at the moment here is this 
the one that has to do with obligation. It's the I need to that a, a child or anyone experiences. So if I'm driving my car along the road and the the gas gauge flashes that it's empty, then my my heart, my conscience prompts me, I need to get gas or I, I need to shut the door because it's drafty or I need to pay my bills. It's the I need to of the conscience, this obligation that is so powerful in any of our lives and it helps us move forward. Now, what we do with children with these, this particular challenge is we grow the sense of obligation to be greater than what the child normally has. And this is where the tipping point comes. When a child has a greater sense of obligation in life, the I need to, then in, internally they have a stronger ability then to manage themselves. So it's not just the message of the, of the conscience that's, that say I need to, but then it's the self-control that we develop. But it comes through practice sessions where children learn how to develop this sense of obligation and obligation then overcomes urge. So I had one little seven-year-old boy. He was in school and he was having a hard time in school because he would tap his pencil or he would, he would drop his pencil on the floor and go get it or he'd stand up in class or he'd talk <laughs> without raising his hand. All these different things that are very much associated with an ADHD tendency. And so we went to work and we started the therapy strategies to develop more obligation. And as we did, I explained to the little boy, I said, here's a bar graph. I said, on this side, we have clean your room. And I had the bar go up just a little ways. And I had play on the iPad and that went up quite a bit. I said, which, two, which of these is going to win? And he says, oh, play on the iPad because it's higher. I said, yes, it does. But I'm going to work with you and so are your parents. We're going to work with you to help you develop the internal ability to manage yourself so that eventually what's going to happen is your obligation your obligation like to clean your room or to keep your mouth closed or to do whatever, it becomes greater than your impulse or your urge. And then uh, the other is going to win. So obligation will win over your urge is what we said. So it was really interesting. Uh, a couple of days later, the mom called back to make another appointment. And the little boy in the background said, tell Dr. Taransky, my obligation is winning over my urge. <laughs> now, that was very important because one, it communicated that the child got it. And he understood what we were talking about. But secondly, uh, he had hope. He mm. knew what he needed to do. And this obligation was something he was working on in his life so that he would have the internal strength to manage the obligation that he had. That's what we're working on when we say uh, develop obligation. So there are several practice strategies, and I'll share those with you. But the idea is obligation is going to be key here at any age. Yeah. How do we... So before we you share those practices, which we, of course, would love to hear, how do we speak to the child who has um, ADHD and maybe he doesn't know or he, he sees maybe himself as different um, or, uh, the, you know, he's treated different, but he doesn't know? How do we as parents can explain it to him? That's a good question. I'm going to um, uh, model that for you now because I think it's very important. I don't think we have to tell children they have ADHD. Mm -hmm. You haven't had the child diagnosed. Really, in fact, some parents wonder, should I get my child diagnosed? And I say, you know, I don't. I can rely on the, the word of parents. Mm. And whether he's diagnosed with ADHD or not is not as important as he, does he have the symptoms. So whether he has the official diagnosis or not is not strategic unless you're trying to get him special treatment in school, you're trying to get him access to medication, then you will need those things. But if you're not looking for those things, we can treat him without a diagnosis. But I would say this to a child. I would say, son, one of the challenges you have, it seems to me, is that you have a hard time focusing on things and staying on task. Or 
It's I notice that sometimes you are impulsive and you say things without thinking about them, or you uh, your hand reaches out and touches something that it shouldn't, or something. And and I want to help you with that. Uh, I want to help you to develop more self control so you can feel better about yourself and you can manage yourself. We're going to engage in some activities and practice, and this is going to help you to feel better about yourself. You'll do better in school. You'll do better in your just managing yourself with other people. You'll have more friends this way. I mean, it's going to be great. I can hardly wait to work on this with you. So that is what we call a visioning meeting. Mm -hmm. We don't have to uh, sit a child down and explain they have a disease or something. We're just saying that we're going to talk more about a solution than we are with a problem. And we're going to bring hope into your life. And the child already knows that he has a challenge. So we're going to come along and support him with some good tools and activities. But I would suggest a meeting like that is a very good place to start with a child. Yeah, that's that's really exciting, and indeed, I I also feel that there's no need necessarily for a um for a diagnosis. I think parents feel when their child um you know has this um yeah uh, challenges, and I think it's so important also Scott to know how to how to to speak to your child, and indeed visioning and giving hope, like uh, just what you were mentioning earlier are so essential to children who are who are dealing with this and see themselves as a bit different. So, Dr. Scott, tell us a, um, a few of the um, practices that you are working with with children who um, are uh, going through these situations. Okay, so yes, I'm going to do that. And I want to share with you some very specific ideas that you can practice with your child to help them to be able to move forward in this particular area. We want to uh, realize that children with ADHD often don't learn best through dialogue. I think it is important to talk to our kids and have discussions with them, but to just keep telling our kids to keep your hands to yourself or be quiet doesn't usually work. Mm -hmm. Just the words themselves, just talking to kids or trying to explain more uh, isn't the solution. I, I don't want to limit the conversations. I just want to say, in order to see change, we have to do some activities. Children learn through activity. I just think about Peter in the Bible. Mm -hmm. I'm sure he had ADHD. He's jumping out of boot when he, you know, when he shouldn't be. He's um, speaking out of turn at the at the uh, transfiguration. He's cutting someone's ears off at the in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, he's denying Christ and lying. He's impulsive. So all of those things indicate here's a guy who has ADHD, and and he's going to learn through activity. That's why I think Jesus does a lot of activity with Peter. He has Peter involved in miracles, and he takes Peter along with him. Uh, to be in the inner circle with him and, and giving him experiences where he's participating in the solution. I think a lot of that is what helps him. And, and the children who have ADHD have so much potential. They're often very bright children, and uh, they uh, have a lot of motivation. And so if we can curb this one area of their lives and help them to be able to manage it, they can go a great distance. So here's what we do. I would say, because we're trying to develop obligation, we want to use the words you need to with a child. I think that's going to be an important piece. And so we're going to give instructions to children in a way that's going to increase obligation. And we're not just going to give instructions like we normally do, but we're going to give many instructions in addition to what we're normally doing in order to build inside of a child a sense of obligation. I would suggest that uh, we do a cycle that has three parts for a child. I'm going to call your name, and when I call your name, you need to come right away. Now, I don't think all children need to come immediately when their parents call them, but we're, remember, we're doing a therapy activity here. Every time I call you, you need to come right away. Because inside of the child's heart now, when he hears his name called Billy, then that 
immediately that child's going to have to stop what he's doing. That's his desires. He's involved in what he's doing. Desires are in the heart. And he's going to immediately come. There's a sense of obligation. In fact, I often say to kids, when I call your name, you need to run over here. Move here quickly. And when you get close to me, you say, what mom or what dad? That is your first step in developing obligation. Then I'm going to give you a task to do. And usually it's just a small task because uh, these children are distracted. We're trying to draw a line between their their developmental capabilities of distraction and uh, try to weed that out a bit. So we want them to have a small task like you need to pick up the pencil off the floor and put it on the counter now. The child does that. And when the child, uh, the child needs to say, okay, dad, or okay, mom, does that and reports back and says, I'm done. You say, okay, that's great. Next, we're going to say, okay, I'm going to give you another task. Are you ready? And the child says, yes. You say, okay, you need to go hang up the towel in the bathroom now. He goes in. Now, this is where he's left your presence. And when he leaves where you are and has to go outside of where you are, he may start his distraction process. Mm. So it's easier to be distracted to be non-distracted when you're in the presence of a parent because the parent then provides that extra sense of um, pressure, the internal pressure, that uncomfortable feeling, the I need to, I need to get this done. My mom is watching me. But as soon as he leaves the room and heads toward the bathroom, mom is not watching him. And so there can be this tendency to get distracted by a toy that's on one side or a noise that he hears out the window or something else. And so what we're going to do is watch him and we're going to wait expectantly. When I say wait expectantly, what I mean is we're going to remind him, you're on task. Remember, stay on task. And it is in this instruction process where the child has to go do the task and report back that we want him to feel uncomfortable, the sense of obligation until he returns. When he returns, we release the uncomfortable feeling by saying to him, let me check your work. Okay, you did it. Good job. You're free to go. What we're doing now is we're putting on the sense of obligation and taking it off off and on, off and on, we're turning the conscience on and then releasing it. That's what the conscience needs to be turned on and then releasing it over and over again, and we're strengthening it. And so this process of following instructions, I mean, I would suggest 20 times a day, at least for a child, maybe 50 times or 100 times a day and for a child with ADHD. And we're going to do it in drill format sometimes. We're going to do three or five instructions in three minutes or something, where we're we're really f- building this sense of focus, and we're teaching a child how to practice focusing in their life. Remember, their brain requires work just mm-hmm. to stay on task. We're increasing their ability to work even when they don't have the desire that will prompt them to continue. That sense of obligation is what's going to build something new or strengthen something that already exists inside of the child that's going to help them develop a greater sense of obligation, this structure inside of the heart, they'll be able to rely on more effectively in order to move forward. So that's the first first technique that we would use. Mm. How um, are there any specific, um, let's say more tailored or anything um, that, that is maybe uh, specifically designed for, for them? I mean, we, um, uh, the uh, biblical parenting uh, uh, are very, very familiar, and hopefully parents listening to us are familiar with the instruction routine. Um, I'm wondering if there is any, uh, if there are any other techniques you can share with us uh, that are more focused, or uh, other techniques that you would like to share with us, Doctor. Yeah, I'll share with you another technique, but I, I would say always go back to the instruction routine because it's the part where the child leaves mm. the parent and stays on task and reports back that is building 
new pathways in the brain. I say to children, we're going to build new pathways in your brain. It's like the uh, the tire that's uh, you're in your bike when you're riding next to the grass between the grass and the and the sidewalk, and it gets stuck in a rut. I want to build those kind of ruts inside of your brain, and it's going to take work. When we do the you need to part of this, and children practice it a lot, mm. it builds the obligation, and it is a primary tool and exercise that children can use. Okay, so that's the first one. Let's go to another one now. Um, I had a boy uh, who was nine years old, and he would um, come into the room. And he would take over the room with his voice because he had uh, a lot, a lack of impulse control. And so whatever was going on in the room had to stop because now this boy was in the room and he just talked when he was in the room. So mom gave him a, and dad gave him a plan to stop, look and listen before you engage. That was the plan. We talked about what that looks like. And you can imagine that conversation. Mm. But then now we're going to use another structure. And we're going to stop the process earlier, not with harshness. I think it's very important that we limit the harshness. These children are magnets for correction. And so we have to correct them every few minutes, usually, when you have a child who's impulsive mm. or can't focus or whatever. You're having to correct them a lot. And so we want to move to the role of coach with a child. And this is very important. So uh, many of the activities that you're in that you're going to correct for become the therapy strategies that you're working on. We're going to practice that. So here comes this child into the room and starts to talk. Mom just puts up her hand, calmly says, oops, go back and try again. And so the child goes back out, goes out of the room, comes back in, waits. Now, some children who are particularly have a challenge in this area, we give them a tactile uh, opportunity or response. The child can come over and put his hand on mom's arm. Mom then can stop what she's doing and talk to him. Or more as we develop this a little bit more, mom will put her hand on ma on the boy's hand to acknowledge that she's heard, but push it a little bit to force him to wait. That is practice his self-control until for a little bit. And then she'll interrupt herself from her conversation and acknowledge her son and deal with his concern. Again, what we're doing is we're teaching self-control skills for children in very simple terms. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So another, here's another one that we do. We go into the um to the store and we say to children, we're going to go into the store and uh, our goal, and, and we say to the kids, this child in particular, we're going to go into the store and I'm not going to hold you. I'm not going to grab your hand so you can't run away. I'm going to, I'm going to let you go. But I'm going to tell you that uh, I would like to offer you a treat from the store. I'll let you purchase something maybe something from the candy aisle or whatever, something you would like. In order to do that, you have to demonstrate self-control while we're in here and not touch anything. You can look with your eyes, but your hands cannot touch. <laughs> okay, you can look with your eyes, but your hands cannot touch. And if you can do that, then we'll be fine. So uh, we go through, and our goal is to get in and out of the store as uh, in a reasonable time. We don't want to be in there for a half hour, but if it's a five-minute trip to the store, we get what we want, we go back out, that's great. Because children with ADHD tend to gravitate towards something and want to put their hands on it or touch it. So now we're using another impulse control activity to develop some internal skills of self-control and practice through practice. So we're practicing and practicing and practicing to help a child learn how to develop this ability to have self-control. And they want to do this. And so we're giving them some motivation by providing them with a treat. But we're using an exercise that's building the sense of obligation, which is really this way of thinking we call self-control that's going to help this child uh, move forward in the long run. 
So that's just another example. I think what we want to do is think through the challenges where our kids have challenges. We want to try to identify a skill if we can out of that challenge that will help a child to be more successful and then practice it. It's the practice that's going to do more significant work than the correction. If we just put our children in situations that are continually failing, they lose hope, they uh, develop a, a negative view of themselves. I'm just a troublemaker. I'm never going to get it right. I just have a problem here. But if we put them in, in situations where they can be successful, that hope that they have of being successful fuels their internal motivation to be uh, more successful. What I'm sharing with you is not easy. This is very difficult. It's challenging to work with a child with ADHD. But what I hope I've done today is give you a hope that there are many things that you can do at home that are activity-based practice sessions that require a lot of work, a lot of practice, an attitude on the parent that is a coaching attitude. And when you see that, you see change in the child. And over time, then you're going to see some major change take place. Yes. I just wanted to say, Dr. Scott, that uh, you have given parents a lot of hope and wisdom. Thank you so much for sharing all this um, information with us many of which are new to, to a lot of parents, I'm sure. And um, just in the last minute or so of our conversation, I wanted to ask if you have any specific guidance or advice or word of encouragement for parents uh, besides what you just mentioned. Yeah, I would say these kids need a lot of relationship, so love on them a lot. I mean, they, remember, what I'm talking to you now today about is firmness. And firmness um, can be challenging in a family's life. Firmness creates some tension many times, and children can only take as much firmness as the relationship allows. So make sure your relationship level is high. Uh, as you uh, exercise relationship and strengthen relationship, you'll be able to coach better, and you'll be able to uh, hang in there more firmly because the relationship level is high. So uh, do what you can to strengthen relationship. That's going to be important. And um, you just watch these kids grow over time. They develop the self-control they need in order to be effective. But we can't just wait and say, oh, he's just going to grow out of this because rarely do kids grow out of this problem. It's one of those things they're going to need help with to develop the internal strength to be able to be successful in life. Thank you so much, Dr. Scott. And to everyone who listens, I want to let you know we are starting a new series called How To. And we will be giving very practical advice uh, just as we did right now with, aid, with help with ADHD. Um, so stay tuned. More episodes will follow. For all the other episodes we have in our previous series, go to parentingishardwork.org or biblicalparenting.org and you will find a lot of resources there. Dr. Scott, thank you so much for your time today and looking forward to our next conversation. Thank you very much, Elena.